Good morning. There's an old adage, give a man a fish, he eats for a day. Teach a man to fish and he eats for a lifetime. That is a wonderfully wise little pithy nugget of, uh, of truth that um, finds, uh, uh, you know, some reality, some expression in our uh, topic that I want to cover today, which is a more of a practical one than, uh, uh, than, than typical. And, and that is that I'd like to spend a little bit of time sharing a few thoughts on how to study the Bible using resources, things like this, uh, maybe recommending a few things along the way. Um, our time each morning or our time on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, whenever we uh, home Bible studies, anytime that we spend time teaching the Word, that is giving a man a fish and hopefully a good, big, healthy one. But there's a lot of wisdom to the idea of teaching uh, people not only to receive uh, that fish, but how to go find fish themselves. And in this particular context, what we're talking about is that it's helpful and healthy for there to be opportunities to sit under teaching. Uh, but there's also a lot of value in teaching people how to study the word themselves. Um, now, I this is, you know, in, in my case, this is what I do. This is, you know, I pastor a church. We're a Bible teaching church. I'm spending lots of time studying and teaching and doing things like that. And so, um, but the average Christian doesn't necessarily uh, um, not only not spend that much time preparing to teach, most, most believers don't and, uh, teach. And so there's not really the kind of approach to Bible study that teachers genu- generally take. And so, uh, so that lends itself to the conundrum of how do I study the Bible? You know, um, what what resources do I use? Do I, you know, where do I go to find these things and stuff like that? Well, I thought it might be wise and, and profitable to take a little bit of time today and talk about that. So uh, if you got notes or just if you want to jot down some ideas, um, these are just a few. And this is just from my own perspective, you know, other uh, Bible teachers, other people that, um, you know, that do this kind of thing. Uh, may have additional ideas and thoughts and pointers and that kind of thing, but I would just thought I would share a few things from my own perspective, and hopefully they can be of some genuine uh, and hopefully lasting use uh, to anyone out there who wants to seriously study the Word and to get into it. And so let me uh, start by talking about something extremely basic and simple, but it's the most fundamentally important part of this whole thing, and that is the centrality of the Word of God itself. As a matter of fact, let me read a passage here from uh, 2 Timothy chapter uh, 2, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate or mature, fully equipped for every good work. And so uh, Paul clearly believed that the word of God is central to a believer's faith and practice. And so therefore, it becomes important for us that as we, whether again, whether you're a Bible teacher or whether you're not, just as a, just being a Christian, the Word of God needs to be central to our, uh, to our growth as believers. Uh, and so this would be true devotionally, but it would also be true in terms of our study. Um, every Christian should have a devotional life. In other words, we should take time to read through the Word of God simply prayerfully to, to allow it to speak to us, to, to learn of the character and nature of God, his purposes, plans, for the sake of worshiping and drawing close to him, to just on a purely relational basis get to know him better through that which he's revealed about himself. And the only place to do that is to go to the Word. 
I'm not saying there's no value in, in devotional books. Uh, I've actually been a fan of uh, some particular ones over the years. Um, Streams in the Desert is a very popular, well-known devotional that's uh, a wonderful devotional. Uh, Vance Havner, uh, an old preacher from the Blue Ridge Mountains. Uh, of course, Spurgeon's Morning by Morning and Morning by Evening and all those kinds of things. They're all wonderful devotionals. Um, but the, the depth to which they are wonderful devotionals is often connected to their connection to Scripture uh, and bringing those truths of Scripture out in a devotional way. But I would suggest that the best devotional in the world is the Word of God itself. Uh, now, again, that, that can seem a little um, daunting, maybe, to somebody who just says, well, what do I open in the Bible and, and spend time devotionally? Well, you know, you could start with the Psalms. Proverbs. Certainly uh, reading a, a chapter of Proverbs every day is very, very wise. Uh, there's 31 chapters, and so just you know, take a day and read a chapter is good as part of your uh, daily reading, even devotionally. But any book of the Bible in some, uh, at some level is, is able to be read devotionally. Uh, and so I would just simply say, pick one and just read through it. And just allow, uh, through just prayerful reading and considering the text, uh, just allow the Lord to just use that opportunity to um, to just draw you close. Um, but, of course, not only devotionally, but I also would suggest that all believers ought to also have a study life as well. Uh, and this is where we go beyond just sort of what does the text mean to me in the moment? How, how can this passage carry me through the day? That you know, Ideas that we might bring to more our devotional life or bring from our devotional life. But I think a believer should also have a study life. In other words, we take time to study the word more deeply than just in a devotional sense. Uh, the goal ultimately in, in, in at least one respect is the same, and that is so that we can get to know God better. Um, but in a study life, we are looking at that um, not only devotionally, but now also theologically. We are wanting to spend time to understand uh, the text even more deeply. Now, let me suggest to you that as you uh, build your study life, you're also going to enhance your devotional life because the truths that you glean in a deep study of the Word of God are only going to enhance your ability to know God better, know His ways, His purposes, His nature and character. Um, these things will become even more well understood in a deep study of the Word that now we can bring into our devotional life. And as we get to know Him better in, in these areas, each one is generally blessed uh, through that. So, uh, let me talk about, again, the centrality of the word. Uh, by the way, it's not just Paul who talks about this in Second Timothy, but think about chapter 1 of Psalms. You know, um, uh, matter of fact, let's turn. I'm just going to just paraphrase it. Let's, let's turn to it. Uh, Psalm 1, you know, another wonderful place, by the way, is Psalm 119, where the entire psalm, except for, I think, two verses, make direct reference to the word of God, the law of God, the commands of God. Um, uh, the statutes of God and such. And so as we uh, want to understand just how central God considers his word to be in the life of a believer, uh, there are many, many places in Scripture where we see this. Psalm 1 begins with, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law... He meditates day and night. He'll be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. And then he draws a contrast by looking at the wicked and how they are not so. 
But for believers, the Word of God is central, not just in some legalistic required sense where I need to be make sure I'm in the Word for 15 minutes a day or at least or some kind of thing, or I need to, you know, um, you know, if I fall off my read through the Bible in a year program, then I'm a failure. So we should not we should not really be approaching the Bible with this sense of obligation but rather seeing it as a beautiful opportunity to draw close to the Lord as we get to know him better through his word. The heart of the scriptures is Jesus. He said this in John chapter 5 to those who were Bible scholars at the time. He said, you study the scriptures because it is in them that you think you have eternal life, but it is they that speak about me. And so Jesus is the point, the purpose, the heart, the picture that ultimately emerges in the scripture. And so it should not be a chore to want to spend time looking at the word of God that we might get to know him better. And so the word of God is central, um, even more so than anything, more so than commentaries, more so than uh, than videos on it, more so than even teachers, frankly, um, because all of us as teachers have certain biases that we do our best to sort of set aside and be as objective as we can with the scripture. But nonetheless, when we sit under teaching, which is healthy and good and right, as long as you're listening to a good Bible teacher, uh, we should do that. But we also, when we do that, we're always going to be prone to sort of seeing uh, every passage that is studied by a teacher the way that teacher sees it. Now, Scripture, you know, is objective. It means what it means and all of that. Don't misunderstand me. But um, the perspectives that we take come out in our teaching. And so therefore, those who we teach um, may be prone to just sort of adopt those things and never necessarily um, look at the passage more deeply themselves. Uh, and this is true of everybody. I mean, I, I had a phenomenal Mount Rushmore level Bible teacher uh, pastoring the church that I got saved at. Uh, I still listen to his teachings from time to time. And I think about the many things that I learned and grew sitting under that teaching week after week. Uh, for many years. Um, but nonetheless, um, you know, as, as, as you begin to grow and study the Word yourself, you might have a little different perspective on a couple of things. Not essentials. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about going off the rails on the core Christian beliefs, but, you know, particular takes on a passage or, you know, what somebody might have been thinking or, or how somebody in Scripture might have experienced something. Uh, as we seek to draw applications to things, or we might see different applications in some of the passages. Uh, again, not reinterpreting passages, but just how we might express interpretations or uh, applications, I should say, of those passages. And so it's important for us to have our own life studying the Word so that God can actually begin to put on our hearts through that study those things that He wants us to understand how to apply. Uh, we might discover some wonderfully rich nugget of, of truth that we just never knew was in the passage before. Uh, another danger of simply listening to other Bible teachers and not spending time in the Word yourself is that oftentimes we don't really know for sure what the passages are saying in their entirety. We might just know the particular direction that the pastor chose to teach that passage from that week. Um, for example, um, any book of the Bible that we teach, as uh, I can say this as, as, as someone who teaches frequently, um, um, there is always more that could be taken from a text than we ultimately share from it. Because if we took everything you could possibly get out of every text that you ever teach, um, every Bible study would be many hours long. And the truth of the matter is, is that most people can't sit through a four-hour Bible study. Um, you know, some love that. Guilty. But um, not everybody does. And so anybody who's ever 
Uh, <laughs> my church has actually probably got a special reward in heaven because uh, I don't have a gift of brevity, and so they've sat through lots of long teaching. Um, but, um, but you know, uh, uh, even still, I, I have not plumbed the depth of every passage in everything that could be said about it. So personal Bible study allows for more of that, the opportunity for God to help you to understand a passage on a personal level. Again, not differently than what is actually being taught, objectively true there, but you might find some, uh, you, you might discover as you're reading and you're comparing scripture with scripture in that, that there is an application to you personally that, that is biblical, but maybe the, pa- the pastor didn't cover on that when he taught it or something. So it becomes important. So um, that being said, let me talk a little bit about um, things like resources. Kind of alluded to it already, commentaries and the like. Let me talk just for a moment. Uh, actually, I realize my little thing's going off here. Let me turn off the... There we go. We shouldn't be disturbed now. So um, let me talk a little bit about resources in terms of Bible study. Uh, again, the scripture is the primary resource. We, uh, we use scripture to compare scripture with scripture. We, uh, we read the scripture understanding that context is everything. Uh, con- a text without a context becomes a pretext for any, any kind of and all kinds of uh, crazy ideas and such. But when we use scripture and compare scripture with scripture and look at entire contexts of scripture, it helps us safely understand what is being said in the text before us. Let me uh, build that out. Every text in scripture has its immediate context. Uh, the passage we read in, uh, in 2 Timothy, all scripture is inspired by God, or as it says in other versions, uh, uh, is breathed out by God, uh, which is what the word theonoustos means in the Greek and that kind of thing. Um, this passage that Paul is talking about here is in a context, immediately speaking. Uh, it talks about the idea of, uh, of protection. It's, in the, it's couched in a context of protecting against false teaching and apostasy and that kind of thing. And so that's the immediate context. The, lar- the next larger context is the context of the book in which it's written. In this case, 2 Timothy. Uh, which means it is written to Timothy as a young pastor as instruction on how to teach his church and the churches that he is responsible for. And by extension, anyone who's in in pastoral teaching ministry would do well to heed the things that are written to this pastor. It is therefore understood to be written to pastors in some sense as well. But the the, the context of the book of 2 Timothy, and then the larger context... uh, in this case, because Paul wrote much, we would maybe put the next context in the overall scope of Paul's writings. In other words, what was Paul's perspective on the various topics covered in this book? How does he speak to these things in other writings that he uh, has written? And we can understand maybe some things that might be hard to understand in this book, in this context, but in the larger sense of how Paul has spoken about it on the whole, it begins to help us get a better perspective on what he likely would have meant when he used a particular phrase or term or spoke to a subject in this book. And then, of course, there is the larger context of the scripture as a whole. Uh, scripture will never contradict scripture. You will not have um, you know, the Bible saying, this is what you need to do over here, and this is what you need to do over here that is wildly different. Now you're saying, well, wait a minute, that's not true, because in the Old Testament, we're supposed to avoid certain foods and all that kind of stuff. In the New Testament, Paul says we're not supposed to avoid certain foods. Okay, well, without getting into a whole Bible study, there is 
context to our understanding about Levitical law uh, or the law of the, the, the commandments that God gave to his people Israel. There is the immediate context in which those teachings in the Old Testament are given. They are given to Israel. Gentiles have never been under Levitical law. Paul explains this in Romans, where he talks about how the Gentiles sort of have a law of their own, and it's their conscience. But God has actually given the oracles of God, and that's the, one of the benefits of having been uh, Jewish uh, in the Old Testament, and that is that you were given the law of God. But it was for the Jews. And as proselytes, those who were Gentiles, began to follow the, the God of Israel, they would then participate in following the, the various laws and practices as well. But this was given to the Jews. And so therefore, in the New Testament, when we talk about it differently, we understand that there's a difference between God giving the law to the Jews and the way that the Gentiles ultimately come. Now, on top of that, there's an additional context, and that's the context of the person and finished work of Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul makes the point that we're no longer under this. Acts chapter 15, the first council of the church touches on this as well. The New Testament, we come to understand that we are no longer under law, or the Jews were no longer under law, because Christ has come and fulfilled the law. Now, there's a whole thing about that that we could go on and on about, and we have touched on it many times in the course of our studies. But that's just to point out the fact that context dictates our understanding. It's not just that a verse says this and another verse says this, and therefore there's a contradiction. There's a context for every passage. Uh, Walter Martin used to very famously use this example. If, uh, if you were into apologetics, you've probably heard the name Walter Martin. Um, but uh, in, in discussing this uh, in, in a particular setting about false teaching and this kind of a thing, a, a, a person who was an adherent of a particular cult group uh, stood up and talked about two different passages that had nothing to do with one another, but he was equating them as being connected. And Walter Martin famously said, well, look, the Bible also says that Judas hanged himself, and it also says, go thou and do likewise. Okay, well, the Bible does not say Judas hanged himself, go thou and do likewise. It says these two different phrases in two different parts of Scripture, but we're just sort of banging them together and connecting them when the contexts do not allow for that. So context is king, and we need to always remember that. Um, there are actually a lot of passages in Scripture that sometimes we claim for ourselves that have a very particular context in them uh, in the Old Testament. For example, Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the thoughts that I have toward you, thoughts of uh, peace and not of evil, and to give you a future and a hope in that kind of thing. Well, when you read the larger context around it, you realize that that doesn't necessarily mean quite what we think it means when we typically quote it. And so I'll leave that to you to go ahead and read the context around it. But we need to remember when promises are given in the Old Testament, are they for Israel or are they general? In the New Testament, are they general promises or is there a context for them? We want to remember those things and that's very, very important. So uh, when we talk about resources. Again, Scripture itself is the greatest resource in studying Scripture. Now, on top of that, in addition to that, we might seek to utilize things called commentaries. Commentaries are uh, books that are written by Bible teachers that are written as an explanation of books of the Bible. For example, um, uh, here we go. 
we're doing the Sermon on the Mount on uh, Wednesday nights. Well, here's uh, here's a, a few that I have here. I've got Martin Lloyd-Jones. I've got uh, John Stott. I've got Arthur W. Pink. I've got lots of commentaries on Matthew and that kind of thing that, I, that I'll utilize as, as additional resources that sort of allow me as a teacher to kind of sit under other Bible teachers and hear what they've thought about the passage and what scriptures they have maybe brought to bear on these passages that help illuminate what these texts are speaking about, what Jesus was saying. Um, there, there are things in the passages that um, maybe are unfamiliar to us in the West. Um, Jesus talks about, for example, in his teachings, the idea of, of hot coals on, on this person's head that have wronged you in that. Well, we don't use that expression in our uh, Western society. So what did Jesus mean by that, and what was the understanding of those in his time? Uh, and so when we understand it, and, and we need to understand it in the context it was given before we ever begin to extrapolate uh, something from it for our own personal application, commentaries sometimes can help us do that. Can help us understand these things better, um, and in, in regard to commentaries, it's uh, uh, let me speak to that for a minute. Uh, what kinds of commentaries should I get? What uh, should I buy? Sets of commentaries? Uh, who are good commentators that I should uh, maybe utilize? Well, I guess it's good to touch on that for a little bit. Uh, I just mentioned a few really kind of classic good ones that are uh, have stood the test of time uh, in regard to the Sermon on the Mount um, in terms of entire book studies. Um, uh, you know, some teachers, uh, some teachers I'm comfortable saying, hey, why don't you get the whole set? They're good. Somebody like a Warren Wearsby, for example, um, uh, a great, great, uh, a guy considered a pastor's pastor up until his, uh, his own passing, uh, a few years ago. Um, uh, his commentaries as a set are wonderful and, uh, they're valuable for a believer of any, uh, you know, uh, at any place in their walk, but, I would say as a young believer in particular, they were wonderfully helpful uh, because uh, it helped me get a good, rounded idea of what each book of the Bible was saying, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, chapter, section by section as he taught it. Um, And I found great, great value, and I grew a lot through utilizing those tools as I was beginning to study the Bible myself. Um, But in terms of of your own study, my, my general suggestion would be that if you are studying a particular book of the Bible, that you get a commentary on that book or two commentaries on that book so that you can compare different uh, good, solid, sound Bible teachers uh, on that subject. Well, how do I find out who those are? Well, uh, I mean, I, I, I won't take the time to recommend every single book or some, uh, of the Bible, but, but you know, I would suggest either asking another believer, a mature believer, or going online and finding out who are the best-known commentaries. Uh, My general, I will add this caveat, my general rule in commentaries is that I tend to lean toward commentaries that are well-established and have been around, uh, produced by Bible teachers that have been around for a long time or had been around for a long time before they passed away. Uh, Within Christendom, within the Christian church, there are some names that stand out uh, as enduring uh, in regard to Bible interpretation in that. Uh, Again, I mentioned Martin Lloyd-Jones or Warren Wearsby or something like that. Um, Barnhouse is another one. Um, Ironsides is another one. Um, Now, all these teachers have particular perspectives on various topics within the study of Scripture, but by and large, they're consistently good throughout 
John MacArthur's commentaries uh, as, as far as a modern-day commentator. Uh, of course, his are wonderfully rich. Again, he has different perspectives on some things. I might not agree with him on things like the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but I would not not recommend John MacArthur. He's a wonderful Bible teacher. And so, um, or, you know, um, other resources like... Um, you know, like A.T. Robertson, for example, um, you know, he's got a, these are always nearby. Um, uh, you know, it's Harmony of the Gospels. I've, again, I've got A.T. Robertson in that case, but there are a number of wonderful, uh, um, you know, Harmonies of the Gospels. I've got uh, Harmony of the Life of Paul. I've got um, some classic authors like uh, Henry Alford or, or Barnes Notes and things like that. These are some that you can begin to look at and find um, in... Um, uh, in your local used bookstore. That's another thing. Let me suggest that as you uh, go shopping for books for your library, that not only do you discriminate about the books that you get, don't just pick up everything you see on a bookshelf, because there's a lot of pretty bad commentaries out there too. But um, but I would suggest going to a good local used bookstore that has a, uh, has a sizable Christian uh, section in it. Um, um, you know, I, there's one by us that uh, we go to probably monthly, and uh, and invariably somebody has dumped off their church library, and suddenly these, there's tons of new books on the on the bookshelf there. And I've picked up hundreds of books over the years by great great commentaries, and also other things like um, Greek apparatus and and things like that um, uh, that I've I've filled my bookshelf with. I'm actually sitting on this side of my desk doing the podcast because a number of those are right here, and they're always nearby. Uh, tools to help study the Greek language when I'm, I'm getting into a passage. Um, uh, but a good used bookstore, uh, you can find phenomenal resources for pennies on the dollar. I just held up the uh, A.T. Robertson book. That, that would probably be about a 15 or 20 or more dollar book, brand new. But at the used bookstore, I got it for like $2. You know, And so I've got probably $1,000 worth of books on this bookshelf that I probably didn't spend more than a couple hundred dollars for in total. Uh, and so um, I will share one uh, that's kind of a larger, more comprehensive kind of a, a resource that I think is helpful to have. Years ago, and you can still get it, but there was a book called Haley's Bible Commentary. That's a really nice, I, I'm sure I've got one here somewhere too. Um, not right here. I think I've got it. I can see it on my other bookshelf over there. But um, um, that was a great, small, succinct commentary through all the books of the Bible. It was a wonderful little resource. It was a good thing to have with you when you're studying your Bible. Well, another kind of book like that that's not quite small and pocket-sized, um, uh, you could hold open a pretty big door with this one, but uh, this is by J. Sidlow Baxter, and uh, this is called Explore the Book. It's, uh, this is a one-volume version of it, and, uh, um, but it's a, it's a great resource because it, it, it's like the Haley's Bible commentary I was talking about, but a little bit more informative than even that. It's got uh, great breakdowns of the books, uh, talks about topics at some length. Just a great, great resource. That one I actually bought new. So that one I, I, I think I paid like 30 bucks for or something like that, 25 bucks. But, um, but that being said, so when it comes to commentaries, things like that, it can be very, very useful to, um, um, to uh, just go to your local bookstore, used bookstore, or you can go on Amazon and find these things. There's often used copies you can get pretty cheap. But uh, I would say, don't just go out and buy every book you can and flood your bookshelf because it'll get really expensive and it'll be confusing having just tons of books. And But just as you study book by book by book, find a good commentary, uh, buy a good author on that book or two or three, 
and just study that book. And then as you move on to the next book, do the same thing there. And by that point, you'll have started learning how to use those commentaries. Uh, You'll start discovering authors that you like and that are uh, known to be good and consistent in that. And, uh, you know, nowadays, if I showed you all my bookshelves, um, I mean, I've got, I don't know, a couple thousand volumes on my bookshelves that have been amassed over the last almost 30 years. And so over time, you just start building your library. Now, what if you don't have a lot of room? Uh, for commentaries and books like that? Well, I'm glad you asked, because there are some wonderful uh, online resources that I would also recommend having, regardless of whether you have books or not. I happen to like the tactile feel of a book in my hand. I like to just sort of pull a book off the shelf and read through the pages and all that kind of stuff, write my notes in it. It's another thing. Don't be afraid to write in the books that you have, like jot notes down, underline things, including your Bible. Um, you know, if I open up to almost any page in, uh, in, you know, in this Bible here, I've got just notes upon, like here, gosh, going through the book of Acts. Well, look at all that. There's notes all over the place. Um, don't be afraid to write in your Bible. You're not, it's not sacrilege. This is not an original Greek text that you're looking at. It's your Bible that you got at the bookstore. And so jot your notes down, highlight it, um, underline things. Write down a thought there that you had when you were studying that and all that, and and just utilize these as the resource and and study tools that they are. Uh, Another thing on that note is have a notebook nearby. Uh, Again, I've got, you know, notes here for not just what I'm talking about today, but just notes from devotional times, or um, maybe I want to memorize a passage, and so I write it out. Something magical happens between our brain and our hands when we physically write things out. Have those kinds of things handy. Um, but back to the electronic resources. Um, there is um, there there's a resource for uh, for any level of financial investment, starting with free. Uh, the Blue Letter Bible, for example, is a free resource online. It's blueletterbible.org, and uh, it is a a pastoral level free resource where you can uh, get into the Greek. You can read tons of different commentaries. Uh, you can uh, you can take notes, not with your hand, but you could type notes in there uh, and, and save them and that kind of thing. It's, uh, it's a fantastic resource and it's free. I support it monthly with a little bit of money, but it's just because I've been using it for many years and I continue to, even though I have what would be considered a next level uh, uh, Bible software that is quite expensive, but has uh, an even richer version of all those resources uh, and that's called the Logos Bible Software. And that's a wonderfully deep, rich, you're probably not going to exhaust this resource in terms of uh, studying languages and, and understanding tenses of words and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for most people, the Blue Letter Bible is going to be plenty uh, because it's going to have the opportunity to get into the Greek language uh, to, or the Hebrew in the Old Testament or the various languages that that find a, a place, Aramaic and such. Um, but... Um, but it's a great resource to utilize uh, for those purposes. Uh, it's got like, you know, uh, I forget how many versions of the Bible, like you can get your ESV or NASB or the King James, New King James, Net Bible is a, a, one of the more recent uh, versions there in scholarship. There's, there's all kinds. You can look at the original uh, Greek Septuagints and Hebrew Masoretics and all those different kinds of things. And so it's a wonderful resource. I have hard copies of those other language versions of the scripture and that too, which I don't read, but I, I want to continue to learn to read until I say I can. 
but uh, but having the resources online on your phone on your laptop that's it's just wonderful so uh, again uh, for most people a free serve uh, uh, resource like blue letter bible or bible gateway or any of those uh, like that i think esword is one that uh, is is popular as well um, or you can if you've got the resources and the money and you want to drop 800 or a thousand dollars on on something like logos uh, we have a version we've had for years now so it's more than paid for itself over the years uh, but again that's an expensive resource and that's not for everybody but blue letter bible is phenomenal and i if i if i had one electronic resource that i i didn't have money for that i had to take with me that would be the one i'd have um so um another thing i'll say in regard to resources would be a study bible um I typically use a Bible now that has just references in it, um, you know, maybe some sections on the bottom of the pages where, you know, you'll see a footnote where it, it explains what a word might mean or something like that. Um, the Generally, the Bible I use nowadays tends to mostly just uh, major on having Bible cross-references and things like that. Uh, but that's because over the years I've learned how to use lots of other resources to supplement my study of the text. Um, but when you're maybe just starting to learn how to study the Bible, getting a good study Bible is a helpful thing. Um, uh, here, um, when I, early in my Christian life, um, matter of fact, this was 1994 I got this Bible. But uh, a long time ago, I got this one. It's called, as a matter of fact, it's all worn out. You can't even see what it was. But it's, uh, it's the new open Bible. And uh, look, now it's open. But it's, uh, it's called the open Bible, and it's got lots and lots of uh, study notes and topical studies and references. It breaks down every book into sort of uh, an outline before you get into it so you can kind of see what the book's about. It's got an enormous topical index in the front. Uh, this I practically slept with this under my pillow every night. I mean, it was just, I, I used it constantly. And, and uh, like the other one I just held up, it's got tons and tons of notes and underlines and highlights. And it's kind of fun to go back and see some of the things that I had uh, written on notes and stuff like that years later, but a good study Bible can be a good one. Um, so, um, okay, let me talk about one kind of last topic, and uh, uh, and that would be the approach to Bible study uh, in a much more personal way. And that is that I, th- I think it's enormously important to approach studying the Bible with a strong measure of not only de- dedication, devotion, um, sweat as we just dig in and try to seek things out. But I think there's an element there that we want to make sure we include, and that's the element of humility. Uh, it's important that we study the scripture with a genuine sense of humility. And by that, what I mean is, uh, is that we want to make sure we let the text itself uh, set the agenda, that we let the text say what it says and do our very level best to not come at the text with any presupposed ideas, um, but to let the text say what it does. When we approach the word this way, excuse me, when we approach the text this way, then we are letting God say what God said. We're, 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 we're hearing or reading it for what God has to say and not proof texting or just simply approaching it a certain way so that the texts will sort of mean what we want them to mean. Um, Approaching it with a level of humility and letting the text itself set the agenda means that when I read a passage of scripture, I'm not gonna just read it through my own eyes. I'm going to read it for what it actually says. 
Um, this again kind of touches on some of the ideas we mentioned earlier, things like the context of the book. Who is it written to? When was it written? Who was the initial audience? Uh, is what it says something that is something that is, uh, is it intended to be something that has, was intended to have a, an application for me personally in its original, uh, like it did for the original reader? Or is it just something that helps me understand something about uh, the larger picture? Um, you know, um, it, it, I'm, I'm one of those that believes there is value in studying all of the scripture from cover to cover. There are different perspectives within Christianity, like dispensationalism and particularly hyper-dispensationalism, that say that we should really focus on just Paul's writings because that's for the church. I would disagree with that in one sense. There's a certain element of that which I understand where they're coming from, but I would kind of disagree with that really fundamentally because the entire scripture is intended for us to learn. Paul himself said so. He said that, you know, the things that were written before were written for our learning so that we through the patient endurance of the scriptures might have hope. And so we, it's, it's not enough that we just familiarize ourselves with a certain part of the scripture, but that we understand the whole. It was once said, uh, and it's often been repeated, that there in the, uh, old t- in, the, in the Old Testament, we have the New Testament concealed, but in the New Testament, we have the Old Testament revealed. In other words, that which the Old Testament prepared us for finally finds its expression and realization in the New Testament. And so um, to, to avoid the Old Testament is to have a myopic view of the New Testament. And it eliminates a lot of the context by which we can understand what is ultimately being said. And so I, I, I believe we study the whole scripture. But that takes a measure of humility because there's a lot of things there uh, that might undermine our misunderstandings. And frankly, we like our personal understandings of a lot of things. But it's a good idea for us to let the scriptures say what they say and let that dictate our understanding of it. So that takes a measure of humility. Um, a long line with that, I would also say that in regard to all the resources that we bring to bear on our understanding of the scripture, its context, the understanding of terms and definitions and all those kinds of things, uh, probably, I hesitate to say probably, I should say totally, uh, the most important uh, resource that we can bring to our study of the scripture is our inviting the Holy Spirit through prayer to help us understand. Um, that doesn't diminish the need for good, solid resources that help us because if we just sort of pray and then read the passage and then assume that our whatever our understanding of it is must be because I prayed, well, there, there can be a danger in that, obviously. Lots of, uh, lots of people and even groups have gone off the rails because of that kind of thing. But we want to ask the Holy Spirit to be present in illuminating the scriptures to us. And he will oftentimes bring across our paths uh, through our study and our use of resources of far deeper understanding than we had when we started. Uh, it will always be biblical. It will never contradict the Holy... If, if, if you somehow come up with some understanding of a passage that has somehow eluded the church for the last 2,000 years, I would be highly suspect of that. Um, I would be careful just because, um, you know, there's a lot of really committed believers that have been studying for many, many, many years that didn't come to that conclusion. Uh, so I would be careful before we just run with that. But at the same time, our study of the scripture is not only an academic exercise. There is a supernatural element to it. This is the word of God that apart from the Holy Spirit, who Jesus said would, uh, would guide the church into truth, certainly the believers, uh, the apostles he was talking to at the time, 
He talked about the Holy Spirit would remind the apostles of those things that Jesus said. There's clearly an engagement there that the Holy Spirit plays a role in helping us to understand, retain, apply the Word of God. Uh, and again, we don't just just sort of always assume that whatever I read and then say, well, God told me this is what it meant. Um, I can think of lots of examples, but I, I, I'd get off on a, an already long podcast. I'd get off on a longer tangent. But but just be wary uh, about unique new imp- interpretations of things. But at the same time, we should always remember, too, that if we're going to come to a deeper understanding of the Scripture, the Holy Spirit needs to be present for that. We need to invite him into that. Um, another point in that sort of line of thinking is that we also always, in our humble approach to the Scripture, need to be correctable. Uh, you remember where we started in 2 Timothy, um, um, 2 Timothy chapter uh, uh, 3, where Paul speaked about how the Word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness so that we might be mature, fully equipped for every good work. Um, we need to be correctable. Now, again, this kind of touches on the idea of letting the text speak for itself. But if we have sort of, uh, well, whether we have sort of always sort of held on to a particular, uh, a particular, uh, well, a particular thing that, that has always just sort of been part of our understanding of the passage, um, or if we feel like we've discovered a new thing or something like that, and somebody brings scripture to bear to, to kind of correct that, fix that view, or bring it back around to where it, it, it's more in line with what the text actually says. We need to be willing to receive that. Um, I'm not just saying just from someone like me on a podcast. I'm just saying that as we spend time with other believers discussing uh, what the scriptures mean, um, or we talk to our pastor, or we just over time in, 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 in digging deeper into the understanding of a passage, we realize that we've maybe misunderstood something. We need to be willing to change that, that the text always has to be the final authority. And if it, if it rubs against something that we have always believed, but it's not biblical, then we need to be willing to change that. In other words, arrogance and pride in study of the Bible has no place. Uh, there needs to be a humble willingness to let the text tell us what it actually says. Um, and then um, lastly, I'll say this. Uh, and this, this frankly, is a very personal note that I'm going to share because um, I, I, I kind of wish somebody had said this to me as a young believer. Um, give yourself time to grow. Don't rush growth. The, the goal is maturity, not speed. So give yourself time to grow. I'll tell you why this is so personal. Um, I was extremely fortunate when I came to Christ um, uh, when, when uh, some, some wonderfully dear friends of mine uh, who still remain friends of mine 30 years later, um, these are the guys who led me to the Lord. Well, these, these are guys who had been walking with the Lord themselves for, I don't know, like 10 years or something before I ever came to know Christ. And they've been sitting under this wonderful Bible teacher, this pastor that I had mentioned, uh, pastor, I'll mention his name, Pastor Phil Ballmeyer, Calvary Chapel in Elk Grove Village. That's where I grew up in my faith. And, uh, and they've been sitting under that teaching and, and they were growing in their faith and they were serving in ministry and all this stuff. And they kind of adopted me into their, uh, into their friendship and, and, uh, and took me under their wing, even as an unbeliever, like I was hanging around with them. And eventually, when I came to know the Lord, I had this wonderful benefit of, 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 of living my new Christian faith out with some really wonderfully strong believers uh, who knew the word and all this kind of stuff. Well, in my immaturity, I always wanted to kind of uh, live up 
be at that level. You know, it's funny in sports, you always want to play up a level so it can improve your game. Well, there's a certain kind of spiritual uh, counterpart to that. Um, where you like to be around believers that are more mature than you, have been around longer than you, and all that kind of thing. That's why the Bible talks about the younger, uh, the older men and women investing in the younger uh, and helping them to grow. Well, that that was taking place in that time. But in my mind, I wanted to already be at the place they were at, and so we, you know, they'd be having these wonderful. I keep using the word wonderful. These these rich discussions about deep things in Scripture and all that kind of thing. And, and I would be acting like I knew what they were talking about. And, I'd, and I would contribute things to the conversation that I'm sure in retrospect sounded completely stupid. But, um, but we'd be talking and I'd always want to feel like I was where they were. Well, I, I, you know, in retrospect, I, that stunted my growth. I, I, I sort of jumped a number of grades to try and be at, in, a, in high school without ever really getting through grade school, kindergarten. I mean, I was a new believer. And so... Um, thankfully, uh, you know, I, I was around great people, great people in the Lord and I was able to grow over time, but, uh, but I definitely, uh, made the mistake of, of trying to sort of skip some things or assume that I knew certain things, um, rather than just allowing myself the time to think them through, to learn how to study, to, to develop and cultivate a prayer life, um, to, uh, to you know, to kind of arrive at the place that they had arrived naturally, uh, you can't make a plant uh, or an animal or a person grow faster than they naturally grow. It's just the way things work. Um, even the the idea of the tree planted by the rivers of water. There's this idea of a tree growing as it continues to be nourished. It stays sort of roots connected to the stream, but it doesn't just all of a sudden become a mighty oak or something like that. It becomes what it becomes over time. And so give yourself time to grow that way. Um, don't buy every book you can find and put it on your bookshelf so that you can appear to be studious and all that kind of thing. Uh, again, my bookshelf has grown exponentially over almost 30 years. It's not something that happened overnight. Um, uh, as a matter of fact, you might save yourself the trouble of having to weed out a lot of books that you bought that turned out to be pretty bad. And I've done that early on in my Christian life too. I'm a lot more discriminating about the kinds of resources that I'll spend money on and that kind of thing nowadays, uh, whether or not they'll really help or just be B-sides sitting on my shelf. So, um, but, um, but again, give yourself time to grow to maturity. The goal is not speed. The goal is genuine, authentic growth toward maturity. Well, I'm going to stop there. That turned out to be a whole lot longer than I expected it to be, but that kind of happens a lot, so sorry for that. But, um, but that being said, hopefully that helps. Hopefully it gives you a little something to, to work with in regard to building your own library in order to build your own faith. Uh, it's not just a matter of, of listening to teaching all the time. You should. I do. I mean, I've been, again, I've been walking with the Lord for a while, been teaching for a while, but I still listen to lots of Bible studies. I still read lots of things. I read a lot, actually. I, I'm constantly reading something. But, um, but, but my hope is that this steers you in a direction to help you begin to learn how to do that yourself and, and in doing so to enhance your own study of God's Word. Um, so I'll leave it right there. If you have any thoughts or questions or anything like that, please feel free to go ahead and leave them here on our YouTube channel on the comments section. If you want to email me, you can do that at brian at parsonspad.com or you can go to our church's website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. You can email me there as well. 
By the way, these uh, podcasts, as we've often mentioned, are also available on my personal website, which is called parsonspad.com. And uh, from there, you can also subscribe to the audio podcast through your favorite podcasting software as well. And um, so anyway, thanks for watching. Hopefully this was helpful. And, uh, and again, I always enjoy spending our time together uh, going either through the Word or in today's instance, talking about how we might study the Word. So thanks for watching. Father, we thank you and praise you for opportunities like this to learn some ways that can enhance our ability to grow in our faith, our understanding of the Word of God, which ultimately leads us, hopefully, prayerfully, and certainly it's your desire for us to grow in our deeper knowledge of the God of the Word. And so we just ask that, Father, in our time spending, uh, time that we spend studying your word, that, Father, we would um, just be wise, that we would be honest and humble, that we would be ready to see and receive, uh, Lord, those things from your word that you would have for us. Help us to do it prayerfully. Help us to do it diligently. Help us to make it a regular daily part of our Christian lives as we seek to walk with Jesus, who is, in fact, the word made flesh. Help us to see him on every page. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We exalt the name of Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith and whom we will one day see, and I believe soon, face to face. Thank you, Father. We praise you. We bless you and uh, ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.